right, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad I'm here this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 27. We're going to start there, but we're not going to stay there. Uh, we'll move around a little bit. I hope you'll follow along. Proverbs chapter 27, as soon as I get there. And verse number 1, one verse only, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What a difference a day makes. 24 little hours. No, I'm not going to sing. Thank God, yeah, shut up. But what a difference a day can make. 24 little hours as the song goes on. How true those words are. Just 24 little hours, just one 24-hour period, what a difference a day can make. On April 18, 1906, we get hit by the San Francisco earthquake. What a difference a day makes. December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor, a date that will go down in infamy in a 24-hour period where the world was thrust into the Second World War. What a difference a day makes. August 6, 1945, a plane by the name of Enola Gay took off from an island in the South Pacific and dropped the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima in Japan, destroying 60% of the city and killing 160,000 people. What a difference a day makes, thrusting us into the atomic age. May 5, 1961, Alan B. Shepard was the first U.S. manned space flight. September 11, 2001, a new era began. A new enemy was found. A new way of life was thrust upon us. Have you tried to fly lately? What a difference a day makes. March 31st, 1950. My birthday. <laughs> I just wanted to give you that so you could write that down and send cards and letters and money. March 31st, 90. What a difference a day makes. Mama said, what have I got myself into, all right? We could go on and on. Days that changed the world, that altered man's way of looking at things. Days that started off just like any other day, but the end of that day, things would never, never be the same. Now, we find some of those life-changing days in the Bible. The first one we find is in Genesis chapter 3, the day of sin. In Genesis chapter 3, the day of sin. Look at verse number one. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, God, yea hath God um, said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may uh, eat of every of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the one, when the woman saw the tree that was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit of thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. The garden before sin was a perfect environment. The garden before sin was every need was met for Adam and Eve. Everything was done for them. It was harmony among all creation. They didn't have to worry about the lions attacking them. They didn't have to worry about the bears attacking them. They didn't have to worry about poisonous snakes uh, biting them. It was harmony among all creation. It was complete innocency. Adam and Eve dwelt in the age and in the, in the, in the state of innocency. 
Um, if you take a little uh, uh, six-month or, 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 or one-year-old little baby boy and a little one-year-old baby girl and put them in, a, in a, a, a place to play together with no clothes on, you know what? They're not going to notice anything because they're in a state of innocency. Adam and Eve were living in that state of innocency. But then sin came in verse number 6. And when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and be desired to make one, uh, make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave it unto her husband, and he did eat. Eve was beguiled. She was tricked. God said to Adam, Bible doesn't say God said to Adam and Eve. God said to Adam, stay away from that tree. Don't eat of that tree. Whatever information Eve had, she got it from Adam. He passed it on to her. Eve was beguiled. She was fooled. She was tricked by the master himself, the serpent, but not Adam. Adam walked into it with his eyes wide open. Remember, it was Adam that the Lord spoke with. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but, thou the tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in that day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. But notice what Eve says over here in verse number 3, but of the fruit of the trees which in the midst of the garden God had said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it lest ye die. God never said don't touch it. I'll guarantee Adam told her don't touch it. I'll guarantee Adam said, listen, see that tree over there, Eve? Don't eat of it. I, I, I tell you what, don't, don't even go near it. Don't even touch it. Just, just, just stay away from it. I guarantee you, Adam warned her that way. But she was beguiled, but Adam walked into it with his eyes wide open. Little did Adam know when he got up that morning that when he went to bed that night that everything would be different. Nothing would ever, ever be the same again. With one fell swoop, he plunged the entire world into sin and debauchery, and there it shall remain until Jesus comes to set it straight again. Let me help you out this morning, folks. Our help, our hope, is not Washington, D.C. Our help, our hope, is not the system. Our help, our hope, is Jesus. He's the only one that's going to straighten it out, and he won't straighten it out until he's good and ready. And he won't straighten it out until he comes back and straightens it out. With one fell swoop, they plunged us into that. Notice the result of sin. Verses 7 through 21. Man died spiritually that day. Woman was cursed in verse number 16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and they desire, and, and that thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Where'd that come from, folks? The curse. Woman, you were cursed because of what Adam did. Man was cursed that day in verse number 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hearken, hast hearkened unto the voice of thy, of thy wife, and had eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all during the days of thy life. 
Cursed is the ground. Man was cursed that day. The serpent was cursed that day in verse number 14. The earth itself was cursed that day in verses 17 and 18. Man, look, this is great. Look at, look at verse number 12. Where is it? Where am I? Go back, verse number 12. And the man said, go back to 11, and he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Go back to verse number 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. This is Adam talking to the Lord. And he says, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said to him, and he said, I heard thy voice. Uh, uh, who told thee that thou was naked? Has thou eaten of the tree? Wherefore I have commanded thee not to eat, that shall us now eat? God knew exactly what he was saying. God knew the answer to that question. So Adam, in all of his brilliancy, in Adam, in all of his intelligence, said, the woman that thou gavest me, she gave me the tree and I did eat. Capital P, capital U. P-U. What an excuse is that? And man, you know what? Man's been excusing it away since that day. Not my fault. Did you ever get stopped on the highway? Oh, your radar must be off. Now, some of you act like you've never been stopped on the highway. Did you, ever get in, did, you, did you ever get in trouble when you were a kid? I didn't do that. It wasn't me. Somebody else did it, not me. Huh? Adam's... Not only, not only was Adam so off basis to blame his wife, he blamed God. It was the woman that you gave me. If you hadn't given to her to me, I would be in this situation now. Well, let me help you out. If he hadn't given her to him, none of us would be here. You'd have one really dilapidated, very old man in the garden, several thousand years old, still in the garden, sitting there saying, what am I doing here? Good night. Then we see in verse 21, it says, and the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, wrong verse 21, wrong chapter. Verse 21, and, and God created, uh, no, that's not the one either. Where is it? Where is it? Verse 20, oh, there we are. Um, that's not what I want either. All right, I'll find it eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, there it is, verse 21, chapter 3, verse 5. I knew I'd get it there eventually. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them together. Adam and Eve covered themselves up with leaves, and the Lord said, not good enough. Not good enough. There's got to be a shedding of blood for the remission of sin. It held true in Adam's day in the Garden of Eden. It holds true today. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Where do you figure those skins came from? An animal had to be sacrificed to cover the sin of man. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. Go to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Hopefully that's right. I don't always get them right. <laughs> That's my class, he'll tell you. In Acts chapter 26, we find here one Saul of Tarsus. Standing before King Agrippa, Paul the accuser, Paul the hater of that which was good. Paul was a religious man. Look at verse 4. After the manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sects of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul was a very educated man. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the Bible records. 
He had his authority in verses 9 through 11. And verily I thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Paul was a position of authority. He had the paperwork to do what he was doing. He had the paperwork from the chief priest and those that were in charge saying, you go out there and you prosecute and you persecute and you execute. You take care of these that are those of the way, the Bible says. They were called the way. The Acts records that they were first called Christians in Antioch. But before that, they were called those of the way. Anytime you read in the book of Acts, those of the way or the people of the way, that's what they're talking about. Christians. He had the paperwork. He had the position. He had the popularity. He had the power to do what he was doing. Stephen got stoned, and the ones that stoned him took their jackets off and laid them at the feet of Saul so he could stand there and give his stamp of approval on the execution of Stephen. Why? Because he was the executor. That's who Saul was. Saul had carte blanche to do whatever he pleased to this group called Christians. He thought he was doing God a favor. After all, he was working for the priest. But oh, what a difference a day makes. Little did he know when he got up that morning as he went about his business that he would meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. Little did he know Saul would become Paul. Little did he know what lay ahead of him. Matter of fact, there's a portion of scripture where God says, I've got to take him to one side and I've got to show him all things that are going to happen to him. But at this point, he didn't know that. He didn't know what lay ahead of him. He didn't know how the Lord would use him as probably the greatest missionary the world would ever produce. That he would go on to write much of the New Testament. Notice his testimony in verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven from the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And we were all fallen to the earth. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the prick. And I said unto him, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am. The great I am of the Old Testament. The great I am of creation. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy, uh, upon thy feet for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which, in the which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto, uh, unto whom now I send thee uh, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among them which had God, uh, which art sanctified by faith uh, that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Paul stood before Agrippa and said, You know what, King? I don't totally understand what happened. I don't grab it all. I probably never will totally understand it. All I know is that I got saved. That's all I know. 
It was instantaneous. It was not a process. And surely Saul, Paul, did not go looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for him and found him on that road to Damascus. Labor Day weekend, 1971, Jesus went looking for me. Just an old Navy boy in an aircraft carrier in Jacksonville, Florida. My wife and I decided to go spend a weekend with my sister who lived in Boca Raton. Little did we know what lay ahead of us that weekend. When I got down on my knees next to a couch in her living room and asked Jesus to save me, I wasn't looking for him. He went looking for me. What a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. I went to my sister's house lost and came back saved. I went to her house lost and came back found. I went condemned to hell and came back on my way to heaven. I went to her house as a servant of Satan and came back as a child of the king. What a difference a day makes. Then we see the day of spirit-filled living in Acts chapter 1. We find here the disciples in an interesting situation. The day before the disciples were meeting, and they were dealing with replacing Judas. Look at verse 15 and 16. In those days, Peter stood in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120 men and brethren. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake, but before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. They were talking about how are we going to replace this here. Little did they know what was about to happen to them the next day. Jesus had trained them. Jesus had done the best he could for three and a half years dealing with them, training them to take over this brand new entity that they knew nothing about called the church. You see, you can't take the church, folks, into the Old Testament and put it into the tabernacle or the temple. It doesn't fit. It's a square peg in a round hole. The, test, the, the church is a New Testament organization. It is a New Testament function. And these guys were getting ready to take over something they knew absolutely nothing about. They could not exactly go and look at First and Second Thessalonians. They could not exactly go and look at First and Second Corinthians to know how not to do it. They couldn't go and look at the book of Philippians and the book of Philemon and look at Titus and all the rest of the books of the New Testament. They weren't there yet. They hadn't gotten around to writing them yet. They needed some help. He had prepared them, but they could never possibly imagine what would happen to them. In verse number 8 of chapter 1, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. It's not an option. 
It's not a choice. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. He promised them that they would have power. In Acts chapter 2, and verse number 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound of, uh, from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and had no idea in the world what was going on. They had no idea in the world what a difference a day makes. What a difference a day makes. And I, I love this. In Acts, in Acts chapter 17, and verse number 6, the Bible says, uh, but when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down. Who are they talking about? They're talking about the apostles, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, who got filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they have turned the world upside down. What a testimony. What a testimony for our church. Those that have turned Port Charlotte upside down. And boy, I'll tell you what, if it needs to be turned upside down, it's our old crazy world. What a difference a day makes. Then we see the day of the Savior's coming. Ah, <laughs> what a day that will be. What a day that will be. What a difference the day is going to make. Let me see where I am here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse number 1, the Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Wow. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemies, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For this sort are they which uh, creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away from divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. For now Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do they also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also." But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, with persecutions I endured, but out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The last days. I feel like I just read the local newspaper. The last days. The last, oh, listen, folks, let me help you out. We've been living in the last days since Jesus arose. We don't face anything that they didn't face back then. Oh, we see certain things coming into position, certain things coming into play, but I guarantee you, as sure as we figure it all out, the Lord's going to say, really? Really? You think you got it all figured out, huh? Oh, listen, it could happen today. The last days. But there is coming a day. There is coming a day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 15. 
For this way, for this we say unto the, unto you by the word of God, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, be with them in the clouds, and meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming again. And when he decides to come, and when he's good and ready, and God the Father says, now's the time, he'll come. He'll come. God, if we can't get excited about that, folks, our excitement is, is broken. If you can't get happy about Jesus coming again, you've you're, you got the wrong happiness. What a difference a day will make. Oh, we'll get up in the morning scratch ourselves, get out of bed, moan and groan about our creaks and our cracks and our pains and our this hurts and that hurts and this doesn't work and that doesn't you You of the, of the, how can I put this? I can't. The older people. You old folks. You all know what I'm talking about. You young folks, you say, what in the world is he talking about? You'll find out. You'll find out. Now you'll get up in the morning and you'll scratch this and you'll do I won't even go into that. We'll do whatever you need to do. I will leave it there. Some of us will go to work. How exciting is that? Some of us will just do what we normally do. Go sit on the couch, take a nap. I worked hard this morning. I had breakfast. Got to go take a nap. Huh? Started my laundry. Go take a nap. Whatever. Some some of you young kids, they'll get up and go to school. How exciting is that? Huh? Boy, it'll be a day like any other. It might be cloudy and rainy. Down here it won't be snowing. Hopefully. Huh? It'll be a day like any other. We'll go about our business. Might be grocery shopping. That's always exciting. Walmart on a Saturday, like Times Square on a Friday night. It amazes me. It amazes me how absolutely hard, how hard a little old 82-year-old lady can hit you in the back with a shopping cart. It amazes me how they can do that. They ought to have these mirrors on the end of the aisles so you can see traffic coming. Now they, now they take them and they put them in motorized things. That's exciting. You're standing there looking at it, thump, thump, right over your foot. They go down the way. That's exciting. Wow. Man, it'll be the same. You know, we're not going to notice any different. We're not going to notice any different. We're going to get up and go about our business. We're going to go out about just doing what we normally do. But then the trump will sound, and Jesus will come. And boy, what a difference a day makes. And things will never, never, never be the same again. Those of us who are saved, those of us who know the Lord, will be caught up together to meet Him in the clouds in the air and forever be with Him. What a day that will be. 
and we'll have no idea it's coming. But what a difference a day makes. I hope you're ready. Because once it happens, you won't get a second chance. And folks, let me help you out. It'll be instantaneous. It'll be instantaneous. You know, you see these pictures of the rapture type of thing, you know, people floating up in the, into the sky. And No, 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 no. We'll be here. We'll be there. You know, when I, when I think about it, I, 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 I drag my feet when I walk because I don't want to take a chance on going sideways. You know, have one foot up and go sideways. You know, I want to make sure I go straight up, you know. I mean, go I'm, I'm kidding. Somebody's looking at me. What is he talking about? So right. you'll get it. It's a social security joke. Get A65. Anyway, but I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. Let's bow forward a prayer. Every head bowed, every head closed. Jesus is coming again, folks. What a day that will be. What a difference a day makes. I trust that if Jesus come today, you would go. With every head bowed, every eye closed, in a moment I'm going to pray. When I do, let me pray for you. Let me help you. Let me be your friend. You say, Brother Shane, I'm here this morning. I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you come here all the time. You say, Brother Shane, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if I'm ready to face Jesus today. It could be today. There's nothing stopping him. Never has been since he arose. He promised the disciples, I'm going and I'm coming back, and he is. And you say, Brother Shane, I'm here this morning. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not sure that if I met Jesus today, I would, everything would be okay. I'm not sure that if that trumpet sounded, I would go. And I'd like you to pray for me. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up. Let me see it. Put it right back down. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't just want to pray for you. That's all. What a difference a day makes. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for the precious word of God. Thank you, Father, for the truth of the word of God. Father, help us to understand that Jesus could come at any time, even right now, even this day. And when he does, things will never, ever, ever be the same. Help us, Father, to live on victory's side. Help us, Father, to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to you. Bless our invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand with me and we'll sing just a verse or two on the invitation? You need to come respond. You need to have the Lord work in your heart and do something special for you this morning. What a difference a day makes, folks. Make that decision today. What a difference a day makes. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the Thank you.